0: Harry brought his children into town to see the London Thames for the first time. Tilly, in particular, loved it. She sniffed the air, ran along the foreshore, drinking it all in. He took them to the last proper working dock in central London, where the rubbish from the city is loaded onto barges and shipped out. Tilly was excited by the boats, and, more disturbingly, by the piles of bones collected underneath Cannon Street Railway Bridge. They were an arresting sight, it was true, as if every restaurant in London had been dumping their leftovers into the sewers for centuries, and it had all flushed out here, near the outfall of the Walbrook. Chicken bones, bits of cattle skeleton, sheep bones, even what looked like the fossilized bits of horses and oxen. Harry liked the fact that he had once worked in an office built over this secret river. He enjoyed joking that he had been employed on the banks of the Walbrook, not the Thames. <laughs> Like the fleet in Tyburn, the Walbrook was now just a storm conduit, always covered, but strange legends were attached to it, of treasure-hunting tossers who roamed these buried watercourses, ever afraid of the herd of underground swine rumored to have made their home in the underbelly of the city. When the twins pointed out the rat to him that day, Hare became very thoughtful. This wasn't caused by any reverie about a child's tendency to anthropomorphize animals. It was because the rat did indeed appear to be waving. The twins had fled, but Tilly was quite still, staring at it, curious and confident. Harry watched the rodent, which was the size of a fully grown tomcat, as it raised its paw first towards Tilly, then himself, before it disappeared behind one of the moored boats that rested on the exposed river. What was stranger, from Harry's point of view, was that he believed he had seen this rat before. Long before Tilly and the twins arrived on the scene, when he had been a junior working in the offices down by the Walbrook stair. He wasn't entirely sure how long rats lived, but he presumed it was the same one, and at the time he had assumed rats were like people, some were just bigger than others. He had seen this particular rat many times before, though, watching him. When he first started work for the company, Harry used to spend a lot of time along the waterfront, nipping up for cigarettes eating his lunch there on fine days. Now he realized that Tilly shared his fascination with the riverbank. She was a creature possessed that day, scampering below the embankments, exploring as far as she could, right up to the water's edge. she had always been an adventurous child, keen to explore new things and places, but she also displayed a deep conservatism when it came to their home. She quickly noticed, and usually resented, any changes to it, even little things like new cushions or rearranged furniture. It was a nightmare getting her to try different foods. A doctor of his acquaintance had labeled her behavior neophobic, but Harry was happy to accept it as part of her charm. She was certainly different from the twins, with far less of his wife Trudy in her makeup, almost to the point where Trudy had joked that Tilly was brought by the fairies. (laughs) He had never told anyone one at work about the rat. He'd begun to get a little ambitious and it wouldn't have helped his career prospects if people knew he believed he was being watched by a giant rat. The only person he ever told about it was a girl he had met one evening in the Banker, the pub under Cannon Street Railway Bridge. It had been the end of summer, still warm, and he had been out on the patio with a group of colleagues. He couldn't remember how she'd got there, Suddenly she had just been there in the crowd. Raven wavy hair pulled back off her face, sharp, pretty features. She had worn a red silk shirt, the jacket of her trouser suit slung carelessly over her shoulder. She was something in waste management, she had told him. He found himself talking to her, swept slightly apart from the work gallery, talking dreams, futures, and pasts, mostly him talking. Hapley cocooned in the cherry mob, they had drunk in each other. He must have been relaxed because he had told her about the rat, making light of it on a Friday evening at the end of trading. Strangest thing, strangest thing, he had said before laughing. That's good luck, she'd said. Queenie's looking out for you, puzzling him. Then she'd laughed and suddenly gone very native. You mean to say you never heard of the queen rat? You haven't a bubble? How long you work down here by the river? She laughed again and apologized. Sorry, can't keep that up. I was born and bred within the sound of the bow bells. Family here for generations, that's all. If you believe the tales, there is a giant rat. Queen rat. She takes a shine to certain folk, always men, and looks out for them, protects them, brings them good luck. You should be flattered. She's got famously good taste. She laughed even harder at this. A sexy, engaging laugh that made light of everything she'd been saying about giant rats. Some even say that if she really likes a man, she can transform herself into a beautiful woman and have her way with him. Only once, mind. Then afterwards, so long as he pleases her and doesn't talk about it, he gets good luck in his career and love life. "'And if he doesn't?' Harriet had asked. "'If he doesn't, well, she halves her losses. "'His career goes well, but no children and no luck with the ladies. "'I guess it's not a total loss.' (laughs) "'She'd winked as she said this. "'That had struck him as strange, because winking is peculiar. "'Very few people get it right. "'Hers had been a beauty, though. "'Slow, sensual.' flirty and bright, and it caused him to notice her eyes, eyes that sparkled and rippled like a river in the sunlight, not the muddy Thames, but an azure stream of absolute clarity. The wink brought into focus something he'd been unaware of before, that her eyes were different colors. Harry had forgotten the contents of that conversation. Nor, with hindsight, could he pinpoint exactly the moment they had stopped being casual chatters and started to become people who were going to go home together. In a sense, there hadn't been any single moment, just a growing assumption that crystallized before last orders and was well past debate as they rocked along the Thames Path and up onto London Bridge. He remembered kissing her, the river in the background, as the number 35 lurched up. He recalled her giggling and telling him she usually traveled underground. <laughs> they had brushed up on the bus, fallen off together at the elephant, groped their way under the railway bridge at Rockingham Street. They would torn at each other's clothes alongside the children's adventure playground and straightened themselves out as they turned towards his block. She had reached for a zip as they turned the corner, laughing. Going into the flat had been a blur of clothes and stumbling for lights. "'Hands and teeth everywhere.' "'He remembered her tearing at his cheek with her teeth "'and recalled the shock, but not the pain, "'of her biting his shoulder, "'of being scratched all over "'as if she had had two pairs of hands. "'He remembered an ecstatically exciting time "'that it carried on until near dawn. "'He'd woken up groggy "'with deep cuts in his neck and cheek "'to see her already assembled and ready to go. "'Are you going?' What? Wait! She'd kissed him gently on his torn cheek and said, I expect we'll see each other again one of these days. Harry never did see her again. Sometimes, on the waterfront, he thought he could sense her, but he'd look around and she'd be gone.